0: Singe, singe, zinga. You're listening to Zinga Network at zinganetwork.com. Once upon a time, I had a boyfriend. This is a true story. He was a really nice guy, a soft-spoken Australian I met in Los Angeles, who looked remarkably like the actor Brad Pitt. That's not why I was dating him. I actually don't remember what I thought of him the very first time I saw him. I just happened to smile at him as he walked by. The first time I remember what I thought of him, which was the very next morning, I thought, not bad. Full disclosure, I may have had a few drinks the night before, but I didn't think I had woken up next to Brad Pitt. In fact, the likeness didn't even cross my mind until two friends pointed it out one night at Ding Dong Dang, a karaoke joint in Koreatown where we could rent a private booth, sneak in some props like fedoras and feather boas, and pretend to be Ethel Merman and Frank Sinatra for a few glorious hours. Tacked to the wall of our booth one night was a promotional poster for Legends of the Fall, Brad Pitt's flowing golden locks windswept across a western sky. Look, said my friends, it's your new boyfriend. I looked and saw that it was true. My new boyfriend looked exactly like Legends of the Fall Brad Pitt.
1: You said that I'm a lover, you said that I'm a saint you
0: said that I don't love you in any decent way I'm sorry my love, it's just the way that I had be Sorry for the rumbles and the heat of the night. Wither the way, it seemed all right. Sorry, my love, it's just the way that I have seen. Welcome to Artipus Art You Can Hear. Artipus visits Trust is the Ultimate Currency, a group exhibit curated by Bob Bicknell Knight at Harleston High Street Gallery in Fitzrovia, London, England.
2: Heart, in the morning,
0: this was not the time of Legends of the Fall. At the point of this story, Brad Pitt was shooting Mr. and Mrs. Smith, breaking up with Jennifer Aniston, hooking up with Angelina Jolie, and, apparently, enjoying being at the center of the biggest Hollywood scandal for that decade. As everyone in LA knew, because Brad and Jen and Ange were on the cover of literally every tabloid, literally every single day, Brad Pitt's flowing golden locks at that time were cut into a buzz cut. Not my boyfriend's, though. His golden locks were still flowing. I first got to know the artist and curator Bob Bicknell Knight two years ago, when he curated a group exhibit in Berlin called The Museum Has Abandoned Us. It was a tribute, in a way, to the 2016 turner Ronco leboeuf installation of the same name at the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens, New York. One of the very first pieces of performance protest art against the new Trump administration, meant to continue for the duration of Trump's term in office.
1: Here we go, the president. Mr. Vice President, members of Congress.
0: In the original Turner-Runko-LaBeouf installation, called He Will Not Divide Us, a camera was mounted behind an outer wall of the museum that went live on the day of Donald Trump's inauguration as 45th president of the United States of America. Passers-by were invited to stand in front of the camera and share messages of unity to be live-streamed out to the world. And my fellow Americans... Word got out, and people didn't just stand in front of the camera. They traveled from around the country to speak into it, camped out beside it, and used it as a portal to connect to others around the country in expressions not only of unity, but also of building plans and hopes against their fears of what the the future was about to bring.
1: I stand here ready to work with you to achieve historic breakthroughs, 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 breakthroughs. But
0: word also got out on Reddit, 4chan, and 8chan, and the camera was quickly taken over by Trump supporters, 4chan people, and various other representatives of the dark web the incels, the deplorables, the Bannonites. Fights broke out between the two groups and the camera installation was shut down. The artists renamed the experiment The Museum Has Abandoned Us and quickly found a new outlet in New Mexico. But the location was once again identified and quickly taken over by the same alt right groups who treated viewers to a real time window onto their particular version of dystopian red pill reality that resulted in a very real shooting
1: a Republican agenda, or a Democrat agenda. It's the agenda of the American people.
0: Thankfully, that's not what happened to Bob Bicknell Knight's exhibit in Berlin, which instead explored the consequences of what happens when the real world interacts with the art world. I reached out to him at the time I saw it promoted on Facebook to share the Artipus episode about the original installation. Turns out, he had already heard it and invited me down to the gallery to meet in person. Somehow, the timing got screwed up and we never met, but we've stayed in touch digitally ever since. Bob runs an online platform for art called Is This It? with a focus on video and digital work and a companion quarterly art magazine that's often accompanied by a real-life exhibit. The current issue of Is This It? number 6 is also what this group show is about. How have fake news and alternative facts become such an accepted part of reality that they're now both cliches to be dismissed and propaganda to be manipulated? Who has the power in this dynamic, and who can we trust? Full disclosure, the full transcript of another Artipus episode, episode 29, is included in this issue of Is This It? Issue number six is accompanied by an exhibition at Harleston High Street Gallery in London. I was not able to get to London for the opening of the exhibit, but playing on the theme of alternative facts and fake news, Bob and I decided to go meta and try a virtual visit. So Bob recorded a walkthrough on his smartphone for me, an experience somewhere between video games and virtual reality. So this has now turned into an entirely new situation. Looking at art is such a personal and intimate experience, and now I'm literally looking at it through someone else's eyes. And not just anyone, but the curator himself. I'm not experiencing art the way I experience it firsthand. From my perspective looking up or looking down from my height of 153 centimeters, from my normal pattern of walking around a gallery, I usually start dead center and circle out, from the space itself, does it smell bad to me or good to me? Is it cold to me? Is it big or small to me? I have to place my trust entirely in Bob, a man I've never personally met.
2: Stop trying to control everything and just let go.
0: One night, my golden-locked boyfriend and I had both been working late, so we went in search of a late dinner. It was 2005 in the San Fernando Valley, and the choices were few and far between. We finally found a restaurant that was still open, walked in, and were seated right away. We were the only people there. The kitchen was about to close, they told us, but they'd stay open for one last service, for us. The waiter filled our water glasses, brought us menus, and left us alone to read them over. We felt lucky. Five minutes later, a busboy filled our water glasses and brought us menus. We felt amused. Five minutes after that, a waitress filled our water glasses and brought us menus. We felt rushed and confused. Did they want us to leave, or were they just bored?
1: You said that I'm a lover. You said that I'm a saint.
0: You said that I don't love you in any decent way. The waiter so returned and took our order. The, the chef came out with complimentary appetizers. This wasn't the fanciest of restaurants, so we figured maybe they felt bad for rushing us or maybe they were just trying to get rid of leftover food. Either way, they were free, and free food is always tasty, so we didn't turn them down. The waiter returned to pour some wine. A sous-chef appeared to clear our appetizer plates. The waitress we had seen before brought our entrees, and the waiter gave her a dirty look, as though she was stepping on his turf. We wondered how many more people were in the kitchen that we hadn't met yet, We joked that the dishwasher would probably come out with a basket of bread. The dishwasher came out with a basket of bread. By now, the entire staff of this little restaurant had paraded past our table. Granted, it was a slow night and we were the only customers, but this was ridiculous. Remember, this is a true story. The Harleston High Street Gallery is a traditional white cube space that is white walls and floor, but this space is long and narrow, almost serving as a passage through a landscape, a minefield, actually, of artworks both traditional and digital, exploring our current state of fake news affairs.
1: The U.S. economy is growing almost twice as fast today as when I took office.
0: What dominates the space is audio, mainly from two different video projects, a classical music soundtrack to one video that complements the rather monotone monologue from another. The gallery space itself is sparse, and the pieces of work positioned singularly, as though each one is hung on a wall or placed on the floor in isolation from the rest of the work in the exhibit, rather than in community with it. The audio from the videos fills the emptiness of the spaces in between the works, but they also help create an almost clinical atmosphere of suspended reality, of a crafted, simulated experience. Copies of issue number six are on sale at the reception desk. Bob Bicknell Knight likes to utilize floor space as much as walls and ceilings and flat surfaces, punctuing traditional installation views with presenting work on different planes. It's a great way to look at art from different perspectives, literally. Towering over pieces on the floor, finding pieces in quiet corners, picking up a thread of multidimensional work tucked into odd places around the gallery, forcing you to wonder if they're a part of the exhibit or just something the cleaning crew overlooked. Halfway through our entree, the waiter came by our table again to check on us, as waiters do, perfectly timed to arrive just as we had taken a bite of food, as waiters do. We nodded our heads, reassuring him all was well, but instead of leaving, he lingered. He lingered and he kept staring at my boyfriend. My boyfriend stared back. Do you know, the waiter finally ventured, has anyone ever told you, you look just like Brad Pitt? My boyfriend swallowed. Once or twice, yes. He brushed a flowing lock of hair off his shoulder. But Brad Pitt is taller and has short hair now. I know, I know, claimed the waiter, but you look just like Brad Pitt when he had long hair. Like Legends of the Fall, I offered. Yes, exactly, said the waiter. He looked relieved that I saw it, too. I didn't, actually. To me, my boyfriend looked just like my boyfriend, and Brad Pitt looked like Brad Pitt. But I had seen the poster. While the waiter was chatting us up, the waitress came out and joined in. Then the chef showed up and the sous chef, the busboy, the dishwasher. The whole gang was assembled, admiring my boyfriend for his resemblance to Brad Pitt. They started swapping stories of Brad Pitt sightings around town, seeing Brad Pitt walking his dogs on Mulholland Drive, passing Brad Pitt in a car on Ventura Boulevard, spotting Brad Pitt at the 7-Eleven. And everything finally made a kind of sense. Staying open late for us, the complimentary appetizers, the parade, all the special attention. All because my boyfriend looked like a movie star, even though they knew he wasn't the actual movie star. But it was a thrill, like my boyfriend occupied a special place, somewhere between the Hollywood Wax Museum and the real Brad Pitt.
2: The things you own end up owning you.
0: Bob's camera follows a general layout of the exhibit, from the entryway to the back, but for me, the entire installation begins with Charlie Godet Thomas's piece, Go Configure One. It's an acrylic box, the kind you might find in a natural history museum preserving beetle carcasses or butterflies. This box preserves scraps of paper and broken pieces of plastic, all in sun-faded pastels of pinks and yellows. Text scrawled across the paper scraps in a manga-style font, announces a prediction, a warning, a possible configuration of the future that reminds me of the inscription over Dante's Gates of Hell. We were not to be trusted, but to be trust. The network allowed us to appear, to correct our behavior without the inconvenience of having to the do sky so. sky brightened. The world had ended so quietly that we thought the light had come from the screens of our phones.
2: It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything.
0: Hollywood is a weird town, and the Hollywood Wax Museum is a perfect illustration of its weirdness. The museum occupies what is now premium real estate on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and Highland Avenue. It's the brainchild of Spoony Singh, a starry-eyed, enterprising Punjabi immigrant who moved to Los Angeles by way of Canada and who was disappointed by the lack of contact with actual movie stars once he got there. His solution? Wax figures, lifelike effigies people could get close to, unlike the real movie stars living only a mile or two away. On opening day, the queue to get into the museum stretched half a mile long. According to Wikipedia, the origin of wax museums goes back to the early 18th century, at least, and wax funereal effigies of royalty and other notable figures exhibited by their tombs had essentially been tourist attractions as far back as Edward III of England in 1377. Can you imagine witnessing a funeral procession with a wax effigy instead of a corpse, surrounded by professional mourners instead of friends and family? Professional mourners have been around since ancient Egyptian society, and are hired to beef up the importance of someone, like a measurement of worth by emotional devastation, an economy of sorrows. But really, an economy of likes. How many wailing people are attending your funeral, that eventually morphed into just an ostentatious display of money? This person is so wealthy they can hire strangers to come to their funeral, they don't even need friends. How twisted. But also, what a great way to fake a death. Gentlemen,
1: we salute you. In 2019, we also celebrate 50 years since brave young pilots flew a quarter of a million miles. Through space to plant the, the American, American flag, flag on the face of the... Of the
0: Clear, crisp banners and flags wave across several light boxes positioned around the floor. Digital images of what look like actual statements found at rallies and marches in the far-right domain of flat-earthers and conspiracy theorists. A breeze ripples through the fabric, stirring pride and conviction as the flags state things like, What on God's flat earth is happening? And globalist deep-state crisis actor. Talk about letting your freak flag flag.
1: fly.
0: Part of the interconnectivity of our current technology is being able to find people just like you. It's kind of reassuring, actually. Whatever you believe, there's at least one other person out there, somewhere, who believes the same thing you do. A lot of them are actually bots and Russians and fake accounts that make you believe there are more people like you out there than there really are. And when you leave your house to find those people, at a Trump rally, for example, you do find them. Paid actors who pretend to believe what you believe, but who are really just paying their mortgage by faking it for a few hours. Are they the postmodern professional mourners of our post-truth tragedies?
2: You are not your job. You're not how much money you have in the bank. You're not the car you drive.
0: One of the pieces that appeals to me the most in this exhibit is a simple canvas divided by two pieces of cloth, offcuts from bespoke business suits, the kind of suits that businessmen and CEOs used to wear, three-piece suits, ties, pinstripes. Deborah Delmar's Canto One, Mayfair Businessman, brilliantly reduces capitalism from the entire 20th century to an old-fashioned dark blue and a contrasting bright blue swatch, the kind of blue we only see in the digital world these days on Twitter and, and Facebook.
1: Blue-collar workers who I promise to fight for, they're growing faster than anyone else thought possible. Nearly five million Americans have been lifted... Bob Bicknell Knight is
0: not only a curator, he's an artist, too, with two pieces included in this exhibit. The first is an acrylic portrait of Facebook founder CEO Mark Zuckerberg, holding the head of a goat on a stick, titled Dinner with Mark. The piece was inspired by a recent interview with Twitter founder Jack Dorsey, in which he related a story that Zuckerberg had served him an undercooked goat Zuckerberg had killed with his own hands. In Bob's painting, Zuckerberg looks like an avatar of himself, which is often how he's caricaturized online these days. The goat story sounds like something that came out of a Mario Puzo novel, casting Zuckerberg as a member of the Corleone family and Jack Dorsey as the guy who refuses to be bought, like Jack Waltz in The Godfather. The actual story is that Zuckerberg was going through a phase of learning to be grateful for his food by only eating food he raised and slaughtered himself. But it's the more salacious, subtly threatening, Lord of the Flies version of the story that took off on the Internet the Valhalla of these two tech gods, because I guess that's the better story, the fiction the fake news. <laughs> if you're just joining us, you're listening to... Fake news is a lot like sarcasm in that it both assumes a superior intelligence of the perpetrator and implies a lower intelligence of the audience. It's a cruel humor often masked as intelligence because you have to be intelligent to be sarcastic or at least more intelligent than your audience. But fake news is also an impossible situation, the kind of impossible situations a landlord will create to get rid of a tenant they no longer want, creating arbitrary rules that no one can possibly adhere to, making it impossible to live, to do business, to be. It's the same kind of impossible rules that sexism and racism and bigotry are based on. It's like the people who create and capitalize on fake news don't really even want the rest of us here anymore. Bob's other piece in the exhibit is a Facebook blue bag filled with shredded newspapers and 10 years of Bicknell Knight's Facebook data and a severed head. Called Unattended Bag, it's a play on the warnings around the London public transport about unattended bags in the event they contain bombs, which, considering the amount of personal data in that Facebook bag, it kind of does. Obviously, the head is not a real head. It's a mannequin head, a fake head, what is supposed to be Mark Zuckerberg's head, but not on a stick like a goat, nestled instead in that bag of shredded data like a golden egg. Or like the head of Brad Pitt's wife in the movie Seven.
2: All because I envied your simple life. So
1: long, my lover. I guess we can call
0: My Brad pitt Lee boyfriend and I eventually went our separate ways. Over the years following, there have been different boyfriends in different cities, different countries, different age groups. Recently, I was telling a friend about a first date I had last summer that somehow never manifested into a second one, a date set up by a mutual friend who goes by the belief that, due to my date's traumatic upbringing, one should excuse him of inexcusable behavior. But as my friend pointed out, you can feel bad for someone, but that doesn't mean they need to become your social work. My way home after that chat was really long and boring, so I checked my social media to pass the time. A meme popped up saying, ladies, he doesn't need to be your social work, or something like that, justifying what I was already thinking and feeling. But only because it heard me thinking it, feeding it back to me. And that's the other impossibility of fake news. It's also an impossibility of synergy, synchronicity, and magic. It's impossible that that many people agree with me all the time, that everything really is provided without having to work for it, that whatever I want will just manifest itself. Bob's camera zigzags back and forth across the gallery space with a logic that I'm sure is internal to him, but makes little sense to me. The camera lingers on corners I'm not interested in. I can only access visuals, not thoughts, and no narration accompanies the walkthrough to give me context. Conversely, it swings past other parts of the exhibit I want to spend more time on. Luckily, I can slow things down or even stop where I want to to take a closer look on the video. but. Ultimately, the video is already recorded, already in the past, and there's nothing I can do about it.
2: Remember, all I'm offering is the truth.
0: A screen mounted on the wall displays random words, like one of those word clouds that were popular about 10 years ago when the internet still felt new. Powered by a piece of software built by artist Amy Clark called Low Animal Spirits, it was made in collaboration with Richard Cochrane, ex-vice president of Goldman Sachs. It's displaying words taken from global news sources for virtual profit, composing and tweeting speculative headlines through its Twitter bot. They're about as random and real-sounding as any fake news headline that's been floating around since 2016. Modi data slashed. Militant warfare kills crossboats. Sudan experts killed in Ebola in vengeful legacy. Florida accused. State dismissed significant America. Surgery proves plastic attraction bombs is people. Meanwhile, I just read on Twitter that the actress Natalie Portman succeeded in getting a restraining order against a stalker who has been claiming to be the fictional assassin John Wick, played by another Hollywood actor, Keanu Reeves, who played Neo in the Matrix trilogy, films that turned on the argument over real and synthetic realities and which one are we living in anyway? The Matrix is real, man. <laughs> Bob's camera continues through the gallery space, swinging left and right like the head of the cartoon polar bear in Ali Duke's video series, Animal Stories. This is where the classical music is coming from, that has been snaking around the pieces in the gallery like a Disney soundtrack. A series of animated stories starring cartoon versions of real life animals made famous as internet memes play as short moral parables. The illustration and animation of these pieces are incredible, and it's hard to believe these weren't produced by Pixar. But Pixar would never get so real. In the video short, The Dancing Bear, the bear doesn't dance at all, but instead sits upright and scrolls incessantly through images on a mobile phone. The bear looks sad and like it doesn't want to be there. It's repetitive scrolling, of course, mimicking the very human habit of compulsive scrolling through social media, but also as reference to the real-life bear this cartoon is based on, a polar bear in a Pittsburgh zoo whose head swings back and forth like it's dancing to music. The real bear, however, suffers from a form of stereotypy, a repetitive movement or posture, often seen in animals with reduced stimuli, the movement becoming a vain attempt to satisfy a lacking experience. Click. Click. like, scroll. Another video references one of the oldest memes, back when memes were still called memetics, which is to say, back in the last century, when this meme was called the infinite monkey theorem. The theorem says, A monkey hitting keys at random on a typewriter for an infinite amount of time will almost surely type any given existing text. Click. Click. Like. Scroll. Of course, the monkey is just a metaphor for an abstract device that produces an endless random sequence of letters and symbols. A low animal spirit, producing the complete works of Shakespeare, or fake news or tabloids there's no right there's no wrong there's only popular opinion throughout the gallery stuffed behind the radiator into the window grates stacked on the floor decaying in a pile are copies of Frank Wassers' piece Detritus and Errors Fake news realized in the form of alt-news tabloids that scream the headline, Trump assassinated, and imagining the fallout in reportage and op-ed articles, complete with corrections, call-out boxes, and ads. As with all the other work in this exhibit, it looks very real, and the headline is either a dream or a nightmare, depending on whether you took the blue pill or the red pill, I guess. The layout is authentic, even down to the tone of the articles. It looks exactly like the kind of newspapers bundled into bricks and thrown out the back of early morning delivery trucks in front of shops just before they open. Frank Wasser presents these papers in varying states of decay, from crisp and clean, to crumpled and soggy, to actually stacked on the floor, being consumed by a type of moss that feeds on string and paper, on actual detritus
1: applause for President Trump, just his stride in
0: But he also, and this is my favorite thing, although you have to read the exhibit literature to know this, he also presents them as references to Millhouse bricks, a term used to describe tightly rolled tabloid newspapers that were used as actual weapons at the height of England's football hooliganism. Literally, weaponized news. News and truth are not the same thing, said Walter Lippmann, the father of modern journalism. His point was that even a journalist's version of the truth is subjective and limited to how they construct their reality.
2: It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything.
0: The other soundtrack to my virtual visit is the audio coming from Erin Mitchell's TED Talk, The Future of Virtual Nature. In the video, she is standing in a generic space, a blue sky, green grass, all digitally rendered in an anonymous purgatory of anywhere and nowhere. Erin Mitchell is well-groomed, poised, has excellent posture. She is a perfectly average human being, an ideal avatar. She delivers a convincing presentation about virtual nature, how much better it is than real nature, how much we need it. Her delivery is the standard TED Talk delivery of every tech innovator, social influencer, vox pop scientist who has presented a TED Talk. Lately, it's self-a-meme. Welcome to my TED Talk, people joke after a short rant on Twitter, which is also now the name of this year's TED Conference, featuring Twitter founder Jack Dorsey as a keynote speaker. (laughs) Erin Mitchell's piece is brilliant Her voice, her poise, her constant referencing her smartphone for notes Her delivery, her eyes flickering down to the phone, up to the camera A little off to the side to read a teleprompter Or maybe simulate looking over an audience that isn't really there Her weirdly soothing cell that is so much a scene out of Blade Runner or The Matrix or even Wall-E, using that old Hollywood trick of blurring the lines between reality and fiction to mimic reality so accurately you can't tell if it's real or not. That night at that restaurant in the San Fernando Valley, all those years ago, the entire restaurant staff liked my boyfriend because he looked like Brad Pitt. And because he looked like Brad Pitt, they believed he was a nice guy. They were right. He was a nice guy. But not because he looked like Brad Pitt. He was just born that way. Earlier in my virtual visit, the camera moves around and over and circles a laptop on the floor, and I slide backwards on the video to return to it now. A MacBook Air, painted white and covered in slogans and graffiti scrawled across it. Fuck Amazon. My life, my data. You don't own me, Zuckerberg, etc. It's called Revolting MacBook by Tom Gall. It reminds me of the artist Dred Scott's seminal work, What is the Proper Way to Display a U.S. Flag, which seemed to invite viewers to step on the United States flag as they recorded their impressions in a guest book, challenging the privileging of symbolic objects over artistic freedoms. Placing the laptop on the floor here forces one to gingerly step around it because it's valuable. But valuable how? As art? As technology? As something that represents a lot of money? As something delicate? So everybody's got their rosebud, their one true thing. The question is, what do people believe?
1: Come next spring, you'll be out of the city.
0: My virtual visit to the Harlesden High Street Gallery ends on camera where it began, near the front door. But in my understanding of the work and the exhibit itself, it draws to a conclusion with the works of Eloise Hauser and Boton Casatezzi. Hauser's work is a collage of images taken from CIRS tissue simulation and phantom technology, designed as mapping tools to better understand the human physiology. But Hauser's collage is other than human, like more than, a bit too perfect for comfort, like Erin Mitchell's delivery in her fake TED Talk. To be human is to be imperfect. It's the one thing we can hang on to, the thing we can revel in, the thing that artificial intelligence and cyborgs and VR can never be, the unbearable, beautiful unpredictability of human error. Maybe that's the only thing that's real. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe the fact that humans have a problem with our own error and imperfection and unpredictability is the most human thing of all. Botond Kerestesi's The Satan's Dog is the artist's rendering of a robot dog body with the head of an Anubis, the ancient Egyptian protector of the gates to the underworld, perched on a rocky outcropping overseeing the future.
2: I didn't come here to tell you how this was going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin.
0: I'm gonna be that one you want I'm gonna be I'm gonna want I'm gonna see So long
1: my lover Goodbye my best friend Trust is the Ultimate
0: Currency, curated by Bob Bicknell Knight for Is This It, is on view until April 13th at the Harleston High Street Gallery, located at 32 Newman Street in Fitzrovia, London, England. You can also visit the website, isthisit, isthisit isthisit.com. Reading quotes from Fight Club, Seven, Twelve Monkeys, and The Matrix is Jill Baton of the Vocal Fry podcast and Berlin's Bear Radio. The musical track featured in this episode is the original song So Long Lover, composed and performed by Grant John Jones. You can find more of his music at grantjohnjones.com. That's G E R A I N T J O H N J O N E S.com. And the original live-processed sound collage featured in this episode is called So 219 19 on Drugs by my old friend Joshua Freed for Radio Wonderland, broadcast on WGXC-FM. You can hear more of Joshua's work on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com radio dash wonderland or at radiowonderland.org. Artipus is also broadcast in France exclusively on World Radio Paris, WRP on your DAB dial. I'm Susie Kolick, and you've been listening to Artipus, art you can hear. You've been listening to Artipus, Produced and edited in Berlin by Suzy Kolick, with original theme music by Hotlegs, for the Zynga Network, S-I-N-G-E network.com.